Hi, I'm Lex Marinos, and... Hello, I'm Patricia Ramflett. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century, across Australia on the Community Radio Network. Each week we chat with leading health, lifestyle, finance and fitness experts about how to get the most out of life as we age. Plus we talk with well-known and not-so-well-known Australians of all generations about the issues that affect them. So tune in and... Get connected. connected. Stay connected. Welcome to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century with me, Lex Marinos, and... Patricia Ramflett. G'day, Lex. Patricia, how are you going? Very well, thank you. What's in the show today, Patricia? Well, as far as I know, is it Technology and Ageing with Christine David? You're absolutely correct, it is. Wow. That will be really interesting. And, oh, you know, they've done up, they've renovated, they've, it's all, you know. In Jeff's Cafe? They have. Oh, I've got, the, you know, the latest on that. No. You, well, the sprinkler system they put in yeah. was fantastic and worked very well. But the seagrass <laughs> matting on the floor started to grow. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and turned into seaweed. So they've now had to gut the whole place. Oh. They had to oh. gut the whole oh. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only thing they're keeping is the sprinkler system. <laughs> That's the only thing we can save. Oh, oh God, that was, um, I have to say, that was our producer's idea too, you know. And then, oh, yeah, yeah, he loved the seagrass matting. I think next time they renovate, they're going to go Art Deco. I can't wait. <laughs> it makes me feel nostalgic. Nostalgic, did you oh. say? My goodness, there's a segue. Who's, it, who's taking us to Nostalgia Town? Margaret Road Knight. Oh, Margaret Rodenow, she's been for half a century uh, top blues, folk singer, jazz singer, gospel singer, reggae singer, techno singer. And? That's a jazz. <laughs> She'd like to hear that. And she's a terrific, wonderful woman. She's she great. Is. Well, that'll be fantastic. And then in Money Extra, we've got Mark Binham. Yes. Talking about diversity, mm. diversity with your money. Using using a lot of different currencies. And then, Patricia. Liz Bellette Stubbs will take us on a little journey. She's from 2SEAFM. We're going to mm. hear all about her territory. And whereabouts is 2CFM? It's in Eden. Eden, on the south coast of New oh, South Wales. Oh, it's a beautiful part of the world. Oh, yes. Anyway, we'd better get on with the show. Otherwise, okay. Jeffrey will uh, force us to eat at um, Jeff's Kitchen. Today we're going to talk about digital technology and seniors, which is what we all are, well, most of us, and we're speaking with our guest, Chris David, who's the founder of IT for Retirees. Chris has worked in the computer industry for over 35 years, installing and training on various software. She has a wealth of knowledge and currently helps seniors to learn to use their technology. She founded IT for Retirees, which is IT and the number four retirees. Inspired by an 83-year-old family member who was the only one in his rotary group that was not able to receive emails. After buying an iPad, he discovered he had no idea how to use it. So it became evident to Chris, thankfully, that there was a need to provide this service. I could go on and on about her wonderful um, benefits, etc., but let, let her do the talking and we welcome Chris David. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hi, Chris. Welcome back. Thanks, Lex, and thanks, Patty. That was a, a lovely intro, and it's wonderful to be back. 
what a great service this is. And I think both Lex and I, of course, are seniors, and because of need necessity, uh, both of us have, well, we get ourselves around the computer <laughs> in varying degrees depending on what day it is. But some people, of course, are still scared of uh, of computers. Just tell us, I mean, we think they're obvious, but what are the benefits of technology to seniors and how do you think they can uh, not be so scared of them? Yeah, wonderful question. And I think technology, it's all about enabling you to have a better quality of life. And it really doesn't matter what age. You know, we've helped um, some teenagers that have had um, hearing aids and we've Bluetoothed their hearing aids with their PlayStation, Mm -hmm. which was really important for them. Um, And then you go to the other end of the spectrum where we had our oldest client. She was 19, or she is 99, turns 100 this year. And with the restrictions of COVID, um, she was finding that she would go out to to a, a venue or go shopping, etc., and she had to check in. Now, at 99 years of age, and I mean, she's a very sprightly um, lady, she was really struggling to sort of mm. bend down and write her name on the sheets of paper. Wow. So she, she spoke to her advisor, and luckily she had a home care package, and she said to her advisor, I want one of those things that people just point up and then they just walk in so I don't have to bend over. And, of course, she <laughs> ah. met a smartphone. So mm. that was purchased for her through her home care package and uh, we set it up for her and we showed her how to use it. So she had never had a mobile device before. This was mm. the first mobile phone she'd ever had. Mm. So it was a big learning for, curve for her. But she had the desire, she had the need. And I think that's the key with technology. It, it's simply an enabler to let you achieve whatever it is that you want. And that will vary from person mm. to person. Mm. So in that six months since she's had her smartphone, not only she, does she do the QR code check-ins, which luckily we don't have to do much anymore, but she's now on Facebook. She <laughs> emails and she video chats with her kids who all live on the eastern seaboard. So she's here in yeah. Adelaide and it has changed her life. Mm. And I think that's that's the thing too. They Lots of older people realise once they have a little bit of technology, they think, oh, what have I been missing out on? And it just grows and grows and grows. I still get a thrill when I go to the shopping centre and pass a coffee shop and there are all these older people there, you know, on their iPads. I think, oh, are you beauty? (laughs) Are they phones? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it is is having that confidence, that bit of leap of faith. And I always say to my clients, um, it's just a matter of finding that little carrot, that one thing, that pain point that you have, and then implementing technology to address that pain point. So, for example, my mum, she's 90 now, um, but she lives in regional uh, Queensland in Gladstone. Um, Dad's passed away. And so her driver, her, her carrot, was that she belongs to a book club. And in regional Queensland, where mum lives, there isn't a Demix and a a dedicated bookstore. So mum was really struggling to get the books she needed for Mm. her book club. 
So I thought, well, here's my little opportunity. I don't waste an opportunity. So I, I introduced mum to <laughs> electronic books and mm. I showed her how easy it was to find the book that she wanted. She downloaded it and she actually now reads all of her books on yes. her iPad. That's beautiful. Chris, apart from the, the social benefits of it, um, there's very practical applications where the technology is really uh, is really becoming the only way. You know, the old days of, of going to a bank and seeing a teller and filling out a form, those days are clearly being left behind. So much of our business is being conducted uh, online. And there's a real fear with banking that it's not secure, that it might get hacked. What do you say to reassure uh, older people about that? Yeah, and that again, it's it's something that we come across every day. You know, we, we help people and encourage them to get online, but we also, I feel, have a duty of care to make sure that we help them to stay safe whilst doing so. Mm -hmm. So the scenario with the online banking in particular, as I said, and I use mum all the time because she's a classic example. So 90 years of age. So mum can't walk up hills. She luckily can still drive, but unless she can get a park outside the bank, she can't go to the bank. So at least now, you know, she can transfer money around, she can pay bills, et cetera, all on her iPad. Mm -hmm. And yes, we've had to sort of um, instill some must-dos in regards to staying safe online. So, for example, she always has her software up to date on her iPad because people say, oh, you can't get um, a virus or something that on, a, on an Apple device. Yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you read some of those terms and conditions, the, the 48 pages that you're meant to accept, um, there is the underlying assumption that you have your software up to date. And a lot of older people are often given hand-me-ups from their kids because the devices are older and perhaps can't be kept up to date. They don't realise the, the need and the importance of keeping their software up to date on their smartphones, on their tablets, on their computers. Mm. And then they basically are at a potential risk. And I think, you know, with your scammers or your hackers, people that um, try to... Um, get hold of your money or your, your personal identity, et cetera, it's all about minimising risk. You know, mm. I, I was at a conference uh, just two days ago in Melbourne with a lot of large home care providers who have unlimited buckets of money and they all basically have admitted that it's not a, a matter of if they get attacked at some point, it's when. So mm. these are the big players. So... I think everybody needs to be really mindful of being as secure as they can. So keeping software up to date, having current mm. up-to-date virus, having backups, being sensible and, and only navigating or using browsers or going to websites that are reputable. Mm. And, and, and think, common sense is the best thing. You know, if I'm on um, a site and I see there's a, a wonderful deal for this iPhone for $100, mm. do you think you can buy an <laughs> iPhone these days for $100? It yeah. sounds suspicious. Mm. If it's too good to be true, it's not true. So use some common sense. Mm. And to encourage the, the, the uptake of engagement with technology, what can seniors do to be taught how to use the technology safely? Yeah, and look, there's a number of different avenues 
obviously IT for retirees would love to help, but um, there are also other avenues. So if you have um, family and friends that you can reach out to, um, that is definitely an option. Um, I know every time I, uh, I've actually video chat with mum every night um, because, you know, social isolation and, and loneliness is a, is a big player. Mum can't get out and about a lot. Um, and so she can go for days without speaking to anybody. You know, the highlight of her week is when the cleaner comes mm. because the cleaner will clean her home, but then, and it's, she's checked with me to make sure that's okay, but she stops half an hour earlier and she sits and has a cup of tea oh. with mum. And I would much rather mum have a messy house um, and has that time with another human being. I'm, I'm in Adelaide. Mum's in Gladstone in Queensland. I can't just pop up and see her all the time. Mm. So I video chat. And so I've installed a little device on the top of her smart TV because most of our clients have a TV in their home. That's their entertainment. It's their friend. Mm. It's some some noise, some voices in the home. So I've installed, uh, it's called a Facebook TV portal. You just clip it on the top of your smart TV. And it means that mum can be sitting in her chair and she can be watching TV and I can ring her using uh, you know, um, Messenger or WhatsApp, those video chat tools where we can see and talk to each other over the internet. And this little contraption on top of mum's TV starts to uh, flash so she can see like a strobing light. It also emits a sound. So she knows I'm trying to contact her. So she can stay seated. She presses one button on a remote and some of the newer TVs it just automatically connects. She doesn't even have to press a button, wow. but mum's TV is not quite as up to date as that. So she presses one button and there I come on her big screen TV <laughs> and she can just sit there. I can see mum. I can also see around her in the room. So from a, a, a care aspect, I can see if mum's wearing the same clothes every day. Mm. I can see if last night's mm. dinner dishes mm. are on the table next to her seat I can even see if her ankles are swollen because she's not getting out of the seat enough and she doesn't have to hold a device so it's not there you know you're sitting there trying to hold onto a phone or a a tablet or or anything she's and it does take her a while to get out of her seat Mm. so being able to stay seated in a comfortable tilt chair I'm on the big screen tv we can see and hear each other and she says it's just like I've popped in on the way home oh. from work for a chat. Must have been a lifesaver to thousands of people during lockdown. Absolutely. The discovery of being able to connect with family and people meeting brand new babies and little grandchildren talking to Nana and Papa. What a great thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the only positive thing out of COVID, I'm sure. But yeah. Chris. Do you have a phone number that people, because we'd like to encourage people to contact IT for retirees, do you have a a phone number or how can they contact you, especially if they don't have a computer? Absolutely. So we do have a 1300 number. So it's 1300 525 675. And more than happy just to have a chat. There's no obligation if you just wanted to um, find out what options there are or um, what things you can do, more than happy at any time to have a, a, a phone discussion. 
you can mm. email me or obviously um, on have a website. Uh, we have trainers in five states. So we're in WA, South Australia, Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Mm. So there is a huge need. And, and since we started eight years ago, we've helped over 5,000 older Australians. So if someone says, you know, I'm the only one that doesn't get technology, well, um, no, there's wow. at least 5,000 more that um, mm. also are struggling. It's a very common thing. And so we will come to your home at a time that suits you and we just help you with whatever technology mm. you would like to implement. Mm. And people get scared, don't they, to ask ask for help? Just finally from me, Chris, um, and, you know, please, I'm not trying to do you out of business at all and the wonderful work you do, but do you think there's a wider role for local government or state government, even federal, but particularly the local government level? Is there, I noticed many community centres and libraries do run some courses. Is that, is there enough being done in that area? I, I would say no, but the people are trying. Um, so, for example, there are free alternatives, absolutely. The, the main difference is, you know, with libraries and community centres, councils, etc. cetera, um, they do, some of them do provide free one-on-one support um, or they run classes, etc. but you have to go to them. So, that's a, a big differentiator. And often you're at the, um, you know, looking at what's of, um, skills the librarians have or um, the volunteers that are at community centres. It's very difficult for everyone to be skilled in everything. I also want to mention that the federal government has put aside a ch- large chunk of money um, to fund a program called Be Connected. So I would strongly encourage um, everyone to go online and have a look at Be Connected. They do have a lot of online learning material that you can view um, at your leisure 24-7 at no cost, but there is the underlying assumption that you have a smart device and you have (laughs) internet connectivity and you know how to find that site. So sometimes it's putting the cart, you know, in front of the horse. Um, So there are avenues out there and again if anybody wants to just give me a call and have a chat about options more than happy to do so that's an important word isn't it connected and we'll make sure that number is uh, is on our website thank you that uh, people can follow up chris thank you so much for talking to us again and i'm sure i'm sure it won't be the last time it's such a it's such a growth area and um as more and more of us enter that uh, that period of our lives we need to be connected and stay connected. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Bye. Ta-da. Bye-bye. And now it's time to have a cuppa in Jeff's Cafe, where people of different ages talk about the theme and interview of the day. And welcome once again to another segment of Jeff's Cafe on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. We have just been listening to that interview with Christine David on technology and seniors. And in the cafe today, aged between 40 and 61, we have Laurelin from Echuca. Hello, Laurelin. Hello. Thank you for having me. And aged somewhere between 18 and 39, we have Eloise from Wagga. How are you, Eloise? Hi, I'm good. And aged somewhere between 62 and 100,000, we have Dr. Kay Patterson, who happens to be Australia's Age Discrimination Commissioner. But here today... 
as an older Australian. Welcome, Kay. Thank you. I was described as the ageing discrimination commissioner. <laughs> I might be ageing, but I actually am the age discrimination commissioner. Well, look, I, I have heard ridiculous things said like, the only reason we have grandchildren is so that they can program the remote for the TV. What would you say if somebody said that to you? Well, I think that's very ageist, Jeff. Older people are now, very many of them, are very computer, IT, gadget literate. And I actually taught my staff how to do delayed emails. They didn't know how to delayed emails. So um, maybe I'm not the right person to ask, but, you know, and I have had a computer. I had the first Apple with a floppy disk because I was an academic and I I had a first camp. When I first went to Parliament House, we had no computers and we got all excited because people had a typewriter with a four-page memory, but I had an Apple. So I think I must bring up the right right person to ask because coming from academia, we were using apples in the university, I guess, earlier than take up even in business but isn't that the thing though like so with my generation there is there are certainly people that you could stereotype as not being great with technology but then I look at my grandfather for example got on Facebook at 90 but he was an engineer in his life so like it kind of made sense he should have had computers back when he was working it all fit for him it made sense for him my my step-granddad was like a you know, head manager at might have been Dunlop Tires. And he also, he got onto Facebook and onto the computer and emails and stuff when he was in his 80s. And it all made sense to him. But similar, he had had computers throughout his working history. So I had a dear friend that was one of my, and Louise, I think it's important to have older friends because you see about, oh, did that make the right decision about moving to the Sunshine Coast? and one of them died, that's maybe not a decision I'd make. Having people in my head in your life about, well, how did they get from this position to that position? And and I think that you've got an opportunity that my mother and grandmother didn't have of having intergenerational friends. I think it's more easy for us to have younger friends. Well, I had this older friend who was 35 years old than I was. She was into the computer and I'm in Canberra working because I was in the parliament. And um, she rang me up and she said, uh, the phone rang and she said, I can't get out, I can't get out. And I said, what's the matter? She said, I just can't get out. You'll have to get, I have to get help. And I said, I'm in Canberra, I can't come down, I'm not in Melbourne. Do you want me to get the fire brigade? Don't be stupid, I don't need the fire brigade. And I realised she'd opened so many programs, she couldn't get out of the programs. But I thought she was jammed somewhere. Yeah. So that shows a bit of communication at one point. But she was, she'd now be 106 and she was using computers when she when she was in her late 80s and that was very early adoption because they were still fairly new i mean you know we'd only just got um emails but i did actually get it all wrong and she got quite irritated when i (laughs) it's really important to have really important to have friends across generations i definitely agree with that i hate to say it but my closest friend in the older generation is my grandmother you may know her lucille mckenna she's a friend of the show she was on one of the last episodes hate to say it why would you hate to say oh, it well, I, I don't have many that. friends in the age range is what I'm trying to say is she's one of my, she's one of the few people in that age range which I do constantly talk to however I have recently joined Rotaract which is in conjunction with the Rotary groups nearby I'm actually getting to meet a lot more people in that generation which is really nice well and you know Eloise for you Throughout your working history, people are working later and later in life, longer and longer. So yeah. 
those you've got lots and lots of time to develop those relationships too, and they will happen. Yeah, I'm excited. How old do you think I am? Oh, haven't we already uh, said between 61 and 100,000? Yeah, get a bit closer. Not a day past 62. (laughs) No, I'm 78 in November. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. So, and I'm still working full time. Yeah. There's a wonderful book called The 100-Year Life that talks about as, you know, planning for a 100-year life. 1976, there are 122 100-year-olds. There are now 4,500 100-year-olds, and then there are going to be 40,000 in 18 years' time. So it shows you. But I reckon that more and more older people, and we heard on the earlier program about, you know, the need for when they get a device being able to be shown how to use it. I think mm. the thing is young people play with it and don't feel scared. Older people are a bit reluctant to press buttons and see what happens. And how I discovered delayed emails was we thought, what's that little downward arrow <laughs> beside sin? What's that mean? And that's what young people do. And I think we've got to train older people to go, it's not going to break. Yeah. You know, you might lose a document, but it's not going to break. Isn't that true, though, of being in the workplace? Like I think about my computer skills and they're the way they are because of work because I'm working on a computer all of the time. So you've been out of the workforce for 20 years. It makes sense that you're, it's it's not because of your age. It's because you haven't been using the technology. I'm a stay-at-home mum. absolutely. Who's a bit older and, ha- and the children haven't had computers around because they've been oh, gone. Try. And I think it's not that you're stupid and can't do it. It's you haven't had the opportunity. It's like riding a bike. Yeah, 100%. And also we have a lot of the, um, in a lot of cases, younger children and, like, people like my age, we are raised on it. So it's easier for us to change our thinking on that rather than people who have like a set like idea having to change that idea completely. And I remember when I was in high school, I was part of a group that went to a community group to help teach older people how to use iPads and stuff like that. And some of them picked it up immediately they were like oh I get it this is how this relates this is where the connection is but some of them were just like I cannot understand it it just doesn't make sense to me there's so much this that and the other and then little things just it became too complex for them I really think technology is about usability my husband is not great with technology most of the time but he works in a trade he's not you know, the only time he's really on a computer is probably his phone more than anything, you know, when he's scrolling through social media or checking his emails, you know. But I think one of the interesting things is that my mother was living in America and I and the phone calls were $11 for three minutes oh, and my scholarship was I mean, you, know, you guys now can get on and, and talk to somebody on FaceTime for free, three minutes, and it all be wobbly like this. You couldn't hear what they were saying. And so oh, I got a... a a little tape recorder and sent her home with it, a little cassette player, and she sent me the first one was blank. And she said, well, I don't know about buttons. Now, what's going to happen to you, Eloise, is that you might be IT literate, but something else is going to happen, whether it's some sort of flying car or something. You'll go, oh, my God, I can't do that. Because if you'd said to me when I was your age, you will be able to sit and talk to four people like we are now, and the the audience can't know, but we're looking at each other, I would have laughed at you. Mm. And we used to used to go and the answer the telephone and say, ha, 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 glad this is, you can't see me because I've just got out of the shower. Well, one day I recently turned FaceTime and went, oh, my God, if I was in my undies. So, <laughs> you know, but there'll be something that happens to you in when you're 60 and you'll think, oh, I have to get some of you show me because it'll be new to you. And this isn't the end. This is just the beginning. I've just had a go at virtual reality. 
Oh, my heavens. Yeah. I went up 50, 50 floors in a lift and I, they said, now step out off this plank. And I, and I thought, I'm, I'm on the ground in the office, step out. And I couldn't step out. The second time I did it, they've got photos of me bending my knees because I went down 50 yeah. floors. It's so realistic. That's yeah, it's gonna, incredible. You'll have holograms. Somebody will come and I'll say, what did you do looking at 2D to each other? And you'll say, oh, that's how we look to each other. And you'll say, oh, but mum, yeah, mum, my friends are coming to a party, but only half of them are coming, the rest are coming in, in hologram. Yeah. I mean, that's going to be exciting, but you'll feel a bit overwhelmed occasionally. Is that one of the you know, things about technology that's interesting too is that you only know what you know. So lots of this technology already exists, but if you haven't been exposed to it, and, like, I, I sort of think, you know, with mobility, for example, so I think of, like, my husband's grandma and she had really bad arthritis. There's no way she could have programmed into a phone or typed on a, an iPad or something like that. But then what we didn't know is that there's technology out there that can do that for you. Now we've got the voice to text. Yeah. Things like that. And you, you see people have, look, blind people, they have their phones set up so that it's all voice activated. Absolutely everything. I watched a video on a, a blind woman's daily life and how she used her phone and how it would speak back to her so that she could make sure that it felt correct and how she would type out her emails, what? read her emails. Yeah. I think one of the things that the message to older people who are a little bit concerned about it, and there are some, that it's not going to break. You just have to have a go. And I know, Eloise, you must you like to show people. Um, have, have you shown your grandma things on the <laughs> Well, if you listen to my previous episode, it was actually with my grandmother in which All right. like talking about me being her little IT lady because I'm the only one in Australia uh, of her grandkids. And so I'm the one that come round. I'm the one who says, okay, grandma, this is how you do this. Sometimes it takes me like a little bit of time to figure it out before I have to teach her. So in regards to the first question that we were asked, I am grandma's IT person, but that does not negate the fact that she's an incredibly brilliant woman. When COVID first happened, all of the family was separated and we all were like, oh, well, we've really got to do something, really got to do something. Let's do a Zoom meeting with all the family to say hi every Friday just so that we can do a check-in. And then Thursday came around and Grandma was like, okay, this is the Zoom link. This is how we're doing this. This is the time we're meeting. I've got the Zoom thing set up for this long. And we were like, Grandma, you've beaten us to it. My dad works in IT. He works in coding. And Grandma, you've you've absolutely destroyed him in this aspect because you you are on the ball. And that's the thing you need to break down the myths that, you know, we can all do it. It's just for those people who are a little bit concerned about it, it's, you know, it's easier. There are some people who are very resistant, but they're they're getting to be rare. And I think one of the things it has done, I think, particularly in COVID, it's meant families have been able to stay together a bit, especially I live in Melbourne where the lockdown was quite severe. And I found being able to being able to see people rather than just talk to them on the telephone is really, you know, valuable. So I hope that we've encouraged people to do it. But it's wonderful you've been doing this work because in it, all the data shows that to break down ageism, the work in the University of Cornell, they showed that intergenerational activities are some of the best ways of breaking down um, ageism. So, you know, it's really, I think it's tremendous you've participated with your grandma and participated now. What a lucky grandma to have Eloise as a granddaughter. Yeah, it's almost like we should rephrase that first question to something like, 
Oh, the answer to that question. So, you know, our grandchildren, the people that, you know, only there to program your remote. And it's kind of like, well, only if we need to know how to program the remote and they know how to do that. You know, like it's it's sharing knowledge, isn't it? You see a lot, a lot of technology still has that link to the to the past. current Polaroids they're not like the old ones where you have to wave around so that they dry but every single time I've been past one of those because like I have a little Polaroid camera that doesn't need that third parties so I can take photos every single time I get handed one I start doing that and I wasn't there I'm for the because we're on audio I'm just I'm waving my hands around to (laughs) I'm waving the thing around but um I was never part of the generation that needed to do that I never even I don't even think I've touched a Polaroid that worked that needed me to do that in my lifetime. And yet I do it instinctively because it's a link to the past. Like we would, we watch through movies and all that kind of stuff that that's how we do it. And so I think that's even a link to, you know, previous generations. It's pretty. It really is. The message is each generation's got something to teach and share with other generations, isn't it? That's the message. Yeah. Well, I've just seen somebody wave to get my attention, so I've got to make somebody else some coffee. I want to thank you all for joining us today in Jeff's Cafe. Virtually, we have the technology. Uh, Kay, you're in Melbourne at the moment? Yes. Kay Patterson from Melbourne, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Lorellen in Ichuka, lovely to have you today. And Eloise from uh, Wagga. Terrific to have you. Thank you. And thank us. Lovely to meet you all. Absolutely. Bye. And we'll all get together again soon. Bye-bye, everyone. And now it's time for Nostalgia Town, where we speak with well-known older Australians about the journey they took that makes them the person they are today. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. And we're visiting Nostalgia Town. And our town guide is singer Margaret Roadnight, for whom music has meant constant touring Nationally and overseas and recording, 10 solo albums and contributions on about 523 other albums. (laughs) The longevity and breadth of her career is reflected in a Lifetime lifetime Achievement Awards from the National Folk Festival, the Australian Women in Music Awards, alongside first singer added to the Monsalva Jazz Honour Roll and Artist of the Year at Port Ferry Folk Festival. Oh, God, this goes on, doesn't she? And none of these hint at Margaret's parallel path of presenting relevant social justice songs for various causes and rallies. Welcome, Margaret. It's a delight and it's been far too long. It's great to join you, even if it's just by whatever. <laughs> yeah. So, Margaret, just, just to start off for me, the thing that I'm intrigued about, uh, you know, your career, I guess, is 60 years now. And you've sung thousands and thousands of songs, jazz, folk, blues, and everything in between, traditional songs and those by contemporary writers. I'm curious to know what attracts you to a song. Is it the feel of it? Is it the melody? Is it the lyrics? What, what, when you hear a song, what makes you think, I want to sing that? Well, first of all, I don't write my own, so I need to be out there listening to heaps of other people's um, creations. And thank you to all the songwriters in the world who present, you know, stuff in my repertoire. And uh, it's often a combination of, you know, it's all very well to have fantastic uh, lyrics if the the melody's no good. I um, can't really do it unless I can 
uh, take the jazz approach and turn it into something else. But um, I was happy. if I have to land on one thing, it is lyrics, the content, you know. But um, usually it's the combination of something I can do with it, how I can put my own stamp on somebody else's composition and uh, make it relevant to the audience. I do it not only for myself, but for the audience. And, um, yeah, the um, melody. It helps to have a good melody or interesting melody, and it also (laughs) has to be something that I can manage on my rather pedestrian guitar because the bottom line of my my act, that was air quotes around that, was... um, it's a have guitar will travel act, you know. What can one woman do with one voice and um, and one guitar? Throw in the odd a cappella song, maybe possibly even a poem and, and a kazoo chorus on a jug band song. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> which um, might allude to the the, the range of what it, the songs. It's um, yes, it's true, jazz, blues, folk, etc. But it's basically, can I do it, and can I do justice to the song that I liked enough to learn, and uh, w- will it make sense to the audience? You know, will it have a resonance for them? Margaret, it's Patricia here, Patricia Amflit. You are known, I know. and <laughs> <laughs> you're known as, um, and deservedly so, as one of Australia's finest interpretive singers and uh, and you've become well known because of that and I'm wondering how uh, a girl in Australia grew up uh, how did you manage to like what was called way back Negro music we call it American (laughs) music now how did yeah. you discover that and which took you into the world of gospel or trips away where did that come from? Yeah, I, that's a mystery to me too because really, you know, my conservative Irish-Australian background, um, there's no reason why one would land on, uh, you know, far left jump, I suppose, to um, immerse yourself in African-American music in, in all in all forms, yes, gospel and blues and everything from, you know, play party songs from the Caribbean I used to <laughs> to um, dabble with, you know, throw in somewhere. somewhere. But uh, I, I'm not sure. I, I think it was partly, you know, the sound of the music, but I also always would check on getting to the background, why were they singing that? And, of course, the, the story of, of um, you know, well, previously Africans landing in the, the new world and uh, having to come up with, new forms of music and new collaborations and the crossover between European music and African music. It just uh, really worked for me. And um, so I I was rather slack in presenting, you know, Australian music. It was really only when I started to go overseas that I made an effort to to learn Australian songs to to present, you know, our stuff Mm. out of the country. But otherwise, I'd probably still be stuck in everything that that, uh, harked towards African-American, the range of the repertoire, because I was also interested in the the background and the history. And I'm still, I sing less and less of it nowadays. It can even be problematic that one, you know, this white Australian chooses to present as if having a bit of knowledge about these things, but it, it gets a bit tricky nowadays. But... 
Um, that's okay because, I mean, I'm at the age and stage where I'm ta- tailoring off, you know, presentations and I don't need to work up um, whole programs on such things. But, yes, I did. I did whole workshops on the range of African-American music. <laughs> but back then, you know, for instance, I sang African songs. Well, nowadays um, we have so many African performers here in Australia, you know, but that was not the case when I started in the early 60s, you know. Where did you grow up, Margaret? Up Melbourne, and I'm back in Melbourne. <laughs> I um, was My first three decades of my life were based in Melbourne, and then I had oh, 21 years in Sydney and based in Sydney, and then I had 12 years based in Brisbane, and then uh, eight years back in Victoria, but in regional Victoria, East Gippsland area. And um, finally, about six years ago, I landed back in my hometown, which is fine by me because, you know, if you're going to be in a capital city in Australia, um, Melbourne's the one. Sorry, guys. And uh, also, um, it's, you know, well, before COVID (laughs) changed all that, but it was sort of live music capital of the world, claimed to be that. And, And one of my favourite things to do is to go out and hear other people. You know, I don't necessarily have to be doing it myself. I enjoy what other performers are doing. I like to check on venues and, you know, it's it's my way of operating in the world, really. I mean, I wouldn't have done all that travel and met all these wonderful people and done all these great things if it hadn't been for music, let's face it. Mark, did you grow up in a musical household? Uh, not particularly. Um there was no piano or anything like that. Um, I, I don't read music. I, I never did. Still can't really handle the dots. Um, no, just, oh, you know, school choir, church choir. Um, my mother was had a fantastic voice, you know, that's part of it. But um, And, you know, my sister, younger sister and I, we would end up being harmonising all the three of us together over the dishes sort of approach. But, no, there's no... Um, thought of, you know, this is, it was 78, 78 records on the radio, really, and um, we were, uh, we became poor, <laughs> we were the nouveau poor, um, and so we didn't, um, you know, go to too many concerts or anything like that, but there was a particularly memorable one when I was still at school, last year at school, and Paul Robeson toured Australia, it turned out to be his last performances ever, but... Um, and my, my um, parents scraped up the money for my sister and I to go to the Melbourne Town Hall to catch him. And we didn't know anything about booking, but it turns out that um, it was all booked out. And I'm at the, the box office just at the time that somebody whispers in the ear of the woman selling the tickets that they're just about to add 30 seats to the stage. And would, would we mind sitting behind Paul oh. Rosen? So, so I'm truthfully able to say I have shared this stage with Paul Robeson. <laughs> <laughs> and was he magnificent? Of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, of course. Yes. But, you know, remember it fondly and very memorable. <laughs> and, uh, and subsequently I did even whole shows on Paul Robeson, you know. The one time I was uh, given the job of being musical director, despite not reading the dots, was um, a show on Paul Robeson called Deep Bells Ring, which was just presented in Sydney. Uh, sorry, I was living in Sydney, but it was a, a Brisbane show. And uh, it was meant to be, you know, 
originally for two weeks run or something. And but it got such an amazing response, press wise and audience wise, that it was restaged around Australia pretty much over the next three years. And uh, then when it came to the anniversary of the um, birth of Rose in 1998, um, I, I didn't. Re- we didn't restage that with five singers and two actors and the box and dice, but I decided to put together a two-hander show on Paul Robeson for um, a couple of years that was called Robeson Keeps Rolling Along. So, yes, uh, that was another sort of entree into the African-American repertoire and raison d'etre. Margaret, I'm imagining because you started – your career at such a young age that most of the friends you've kept or still are in contact with are musicians, other singers, would that be right? And do you, do you really yeah, keep in touch with them? I think so. I mean, um, obviously a lot of them dropped off and some of the in the early folk um, scare days where I emerged, um, it was possible to, to do it more or less as a hobby and, not that many of the early practitioners ended up make, being able to sustain a career um, doing that. And there's only really a handful of us still that you would remember and nominate, you know, the Mike McClellans and Jeannie Lewis and uh, myself, Doug Ashdown, possibly, although I don't, I'm not sure he still performs. Um, but those names, you know, we're, we're still around. But um, let me see. Yes, I, I'm, I love to keep in touch with um, the people, important people like that, Bill Lobel, Bill Vinicom, as she was um, from those days. But, you know, as the years go by. (laughs) Don't we know? Yeah. Mark, do you remember the moment, was it that the Paul Robeson concert, for instance, do you remember the moment when you thought, I would really like to make this my career? Oh, it's never... uh, quite like that it was um, I, I remember how it started though um, yes I, my first job um, somebody there noticed that I loved things like Mahali Jackson's songs or Harry Belafonte's Calypso's and and she knew of a, a concert series uh, Sunday afternoons at the Emerald Hill Theatre in South Melbourne um, like a folk concert you know a whole heap of people would get up and do stuff and she said you should go along to these you know this concert and so I did. She said, oh, I know the bass player who plays in a little jazz trio that opens these concerts. And the jazz trio included Jerry Humphreys from The Loved Ones on clarinet. Um, anyway, I, so I, I was introduced to Glenn Tomasetti and a whole heap of uh, folk luminaries, as they turned out to be, Trevor Lucas and Martin Wyndham Reed, etc., and saw this parade of music, which I had no idea about, this is 1962, I'd say, um, and, uh, you know, chain gang songs and Chinese lullabies and bush music, and it was all on parade there, and I thought, oh, this is amazing, you know, there's a whole other world happening, because it wasn't being played on radio or anything like that, and so I met the bass player and said, oh, this is amazing, I'd love to do this music. It was sort of a general comment, you know, and he said, oh, you know, do you, do you play an instrument? I said, no. <laughs> he said, well, I'll play for you. He hadn't even heard me. Anyway, so double bass voice. Eventually, I, I sat in Paul Marks, was doing another gig somewhere and said, oh, basically, I'd like a break. But he said, would anybody else like to sing? So I sang one song. 
the deal after yeah. covering me, so he, did, he didn't get a break. And um, Lynn Thomas said he was sitting there, and I noticed she was applauding, and I was pleased about that because she was about the only female, you know, that was out there doing it. And um, anyway, the next the Next few months, another season at the Emerald Hill Theatre emerged, and she was booking it. She saw me in the audience. She said, "Oh, I heard you sing. Would you like a, a gig?" So um, that was how I made my debut. I didn't audition. There I was. I just was landed it, and the bass player and I we did learn three songs. And uh, in the, I had to do an encore, so that had to be a cappella, and the audience still stamped and cheered. So I had to. Glenn said, "No, we'll get back Margaret back for another." you know, another Sunday. And so that's how I staggered into her career. And you got the bug. <laughs> you got the bug well and truly, and aren't we grateful that you did? Uh, well. Yeah. What do you do for fun these days, Margaret, as we're all 29 and years and some months <laughs> old? What do you do in your spare time that you really, really enjoy, apart from picking up the guitar and having a sing? Well, look, I... I don't tend to pick up the guitar and have a thing unless I've got a, a gig or a particular reason for doing that. I am um, teaching guitar to one one friend, um, and that, that's always fun, but I, I don't feel driven to do anything. I think the, my lifespan has coincided perfectly with, you know, the conditions under which one, for instance, performs. You know, nowadays, I got, I got fussier and fussier as I got older, you know, and I'm not prepared to sit in the corner of a a restaurant or a bar or whatever, and I'm not prepared to have, a, a, even if it's silent, a TV screen going behind me or, or I can hear the billiards being played in the next room, that sort of thing. Um, neither do I expect, you know, to be doing recitals and um, people overpaying to, to hear me. It's a, it's a funny sort of middle road that I'm trying to tread. But also people nowadays feel it's okay to sit there and be checking their emails while they're singing or filming you and, and posting without your permission. And, oh, no, no, no. I, I'm just thinking, no, I don't need this, you know. I don't wish to be the temperamental diva, but this is not good enough. And uh, then along comes COVID and, and sort of solves half of that problem, you know, the, uh, needless to say, uh, offers uh, shrunk. And, and the, in fact, because of the precariousness of it, I'm not really interested in, you know, keeping the voice up to scratch for the these um, maybe one-offs and all the, all the stuff involved because I don't have a band and and I don't drive and it be, I, I realise my default position is happily lazy. So, <laughs> <laughs> what a great description! Happily lazy. <laughs> I just love that, Margaret. Can we? Go away from music for a moment. What were the other influences for you? Television, film, books? Where else did you get inspired? Oh, yeah. I love, um, I watch too, much too much television and I have stacks and stacks of DVDs. I like hard copies of everything. I have stacks and stacks still of LPs, you know, CDs. Da, 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 da. Um, I'm not really leaping into the digital age that well. Uh, and too many books on the shelves that I haven't even read. I obviously acquired them thinking that looks good. And so um, it's helped me to – I'm not quite at the culling enough stage, but I've certainly stopped the acquiring. And uh, so I figure if I you know read one book a week, 
uh, and play one album a day for the rest of my life. I might get through what I've already got in my small cottage, you know, taking up all the room in my cottage. So um, that's always in the back of my mind. Oh, I should, you know, I must revisit this. I must, uh, oh, I never read that. That sort of thing's going on. And, um, uh, yeah, just kept keeping up with friends, and I'm still interested in the sad old political world. And uh, <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, I'm trying to. I'm going to ask you, Patricia. Um, yeah. The, you did your say nightclub debut. Do you remember what year it was? Because you have to be a certain age, I think, to start uh, in the night. And I wasn't a certain age, which meant that I had to have police. Permission. Oh. I had yeah, to have yeah. department. Yeah, I had to well, have the department of whatever it was called, <laughs> children's department permission. My mother had to accompany me uh, until I was eighteen. Uh, All right, I'm going to so say that I saw you in 1965 because I spent about a year in Sydney in 1965, and we went along to see you in a nightclub. And I think you were under, basically underage and had to have special permission. I was. I would have been 15 or 16 at the time. Mum would have been yeah, in, the, in, in the back room, you know, waiting for me. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I love well, it when go. I hear those stories, you know, that were all wild gals that had parties. I had police protection <laughs> at some stage, you know. It was ridiculous. But um, And I was well, thinking you about go. yeah, your very, very long career, which is still going, thankfully, are there, and like all of us, there's up moments, down moments, good shows, bad shows. You've won lots and lots of awards. You've done so much. No. Is there one thing that you are especially proud of? Uh, I, like I haven't, I haven't won lots of awards, and we share one. You know, we are you, you, me, and Renee. We were the inaugural um, recipients of that Australian Women in Music Awards. Well, that's um, lots of awards. <laughs> um, but and I'm not really into awards. I mean, not anything that involves a competition or anything like that. Um, oh no, no. The the main thing is, you know, how amazing to be able to sustain a career um, sufficient to you know pay one's rent um, throughout. You know, five and a half, getting up to six decades, and in in not in pop music. You know, I mean, outside the mainstream, basically, on the fringes. In fact, I call one of my albums Fringe Benefits. People don't understand why I name these things, but it's the benefits of being on the fringe, you know. <laughs> so, uh, Well, what a uh, career it's, it's been, fringe or not, and you remain a much-loved, much-respected performer, and uh, we think you're the best. We think you're lovely. Thank you very, yeah. very much. On behalf yeah. of... <laughs> Looks, looks, looks. Yeah, Margaret, to uh, hear you. Yeah, as always. Well, we we love to see if you ever get to Melbourne, and thanks very much. I've enjoyed it. Cheers. Good on you. Take and care. And we'll speak soon, Margaret. Much, Bye. many thanks, and much love to you. Bye-bye. you Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. And now it's time for money extra where an expert on a particular finance topic gives us a brief life lesson on money. Hi, I'm Mark Bynum, Money and Retirement Coach from The Money Sandwich, talking to you today about why diversity is important on Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. We've all heard the expression, never put all your eggs in the one basket. 
And when it comes to investing, it simply means that you should not put all your efforts and resources in one place or one investment. You should instead diversify. Especially at its worst, you could lose everything. So diversity is important as no single investment will ever be perfect as unfortunately there are always the once in a lifetime opportunities or those get rich quick schemes which you need to be very careful about. So to me diversity means spreading your investments over a mixture of assets such as property, shares and conservative investments like cash, bonds or term deposits. And even further diversifying within those such as with shares spreading across markets such as local as well as overseas. You should also pick shares across a range of industries such as banks, telcos, medical, mining, etc. I always look for good quality investments as well that are blue chip companies. That is large businesses that have stood the test of time and that will largely ride out the ups and downs of the share market. For direct property investment, this means also buying a well-built property in a good location that will be attractive to prospective tenants and provide strong rental income. I also prefer managed funds, like you have with your superannuation, to provide that inbuilt diversity already. As if you have a balanced growth or high growth managed fund, for example, the share and property and components will be diversified across a range of well-known blue chip companies in the main, as well as overseas share and property markets. As diversifying also spreads the risk for the long term. As when we are talking about investments for retirement, your ultimate aim is to have enough income generated by a range of diversified shares, superannuation and property assets so as to replace your salary and be financially free and retired. How much in assets you will need, of course, depends on what salary you want in retirement. Thanks for listening and bye for now. And now it's time for Stepping Out, where we speak with older people from around Australia, showcasing their communities and community radio stations and telling us why you might want to visit sometime. We're stepping out today with someone who's lovely and her name is Liz Ballette Stubbs from 2SEAFM. And isn't she lucky because she's uh, she lives at Pambula Beach. She's a volunteer presenter with SEAFM, and each week she presents Rural Chat, a show that allows her to talk with people in the region and share the music that she loves. When Liz moved to the far south coast five years ago, with retirement top on mind, but when the catastrophic black summer bushfires hit in December 2019, her experience in mental health became vital to what was a devastating and heartbroken community. They were absolutely devastated. We are very pleased to introduce Liz. Hi, Liz. How are you? I'm great, thank you. Were you with 2SEA FM when the fires came through or or did you join later? I was actually with uh, Sapphire FM when the fires started. Mm, mm. So uh, when when it was all happening, um, myself and a colleague, uh, Doc, uh, we did uh, broadcasting um, usually in the morning to give updates on where the fires were at, and we would pop into the studio during the day as well. And Liz, just um, just tell us what the Sapphire Coast is, where it, what it consists of, whereabouts it is, and you know, what the reach of the radio station is. And I'm interested to know there's another radio station there you mentioned as well. That's right. Um, so the Sapphire Coast goes from basically from Naruma in New South Wales down to Eden, which is on the Victorian border. And um, we're known for, it was given that name because of the glorious colours of the waters. They really are different down here because we have a lot of white sand underneath uh, 
So it gives that gorgeous aqua colour. It's a beautiful, beautiful part of the world and I think it's still a bit of a secret compared to the North Coast, but you might be very happy about that. <laughs> we are actually. I'm a, I'm a bit of an amateur photographer and I, I actually uh, don't tell anyone where, where my photos are taken from. Oh, no, 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 mystery, mystery. So you were recruited to rural aid following the fires and what did that evolve? I mean, the community's recovery was amazing too. Yeah, look, um, with Rural Aid, what I do is counselling and I'm a community um, representative. So I go and work with communities and I've been working with one for the last year. And although we're almost three years down the track from when the first fires started, we still have people who are accessing services for the first mm. time. We still have people living in caravans. We still have people who have no access to proper sanitation. And also, you know, we, we still have people on their farms with no fencing. Gosh. Goodness. I mean, we're not necessarily a, a political show, but the response, um, the response certainly seems to have left a lot to be desired from, you know, our vantage point in the city. Mm. The region seemed to really get that in the neck. Anyway, um, what, and you've, on top of that, uh, Liz, I guess you've had to deal with, uh, with COVID and now there's a fear of, foot and mouth disease. Yeah, some of my farmers have gone through all of those experiences of drought, fire, COVID and now foot and mouth. They're, they're quite concerned about what will happen to their livelihoods if that gets a hold. So, yeah, they are um, quite anxious about it. And Liz, what's your own background and, and uh, how did you get involved with the station? Oh, <laughs> I have a, a variety of things that I've done over the years, but I started out as a school teacher, worked with special needs children, went into community services and managed uh, residential services for adults with disabilities. And fast forward, you know, I had my own business for 10 years and then fast forward to coming down here to the beautiful Sapphire Coast and thought I was retired. And um, the great thing about when you move somewhere like this is you shed your skin. So you shed the city skin. I left all my heels behind, donated them, donated all the power suits <laughs> except for one. <laughs> and I found out about uh, radio and I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a go because you'll never get a chance of this in the city. And I gave it a go and just loved it. <laughs> wow. How long have you been there now? About four years. Oh, yeah. good on you. And you're not coming back, are you? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell. And Liz, you're own, you've got your own program, but but just give us a picture of the station. What what kind of broad, is it a generalist station, like a little bit of something for everyone, or is it country and western, jazz, reggae, what... What's it's the got music everything. Vibe? It's got everything. So the reach is quite broad. It goes as far as Bermagui, which is a fair way up mm. the coast from Eden. Um, and I was actually listening to it. I was working down in Victoria last week and I was listening to it as far down as where was I? Around Can River. Um, you can hear, you can pick it up around Can River. Oh, fantastic. Um, and we have a range of shows that we have. And on Mondays, yes, we do do Country Western. We have Cactus Jack, who loves his Country Western shows. <laughs> <laughs> He's terrific. Um, but we also have things like the Acoustic Cafe, which is all acoustic music. Um, and then Doc's Freelance Radio Show, he loves his 80s, but he also loves his music from the 60s and 70s. So he does a smattering of music and he gives really good information about the bands, who he's met a lot of. He's met many of them, so he always has a good story to tell. It must be a great feeling for you, Liz, to know that you were such a help during those 
recovery from uh, bushfire times, there would have been, as Lex said, mental issues. The whole lot was involved and, and you you were there to help. Yeah. Do you think that this, I don't think this summer we'll have, surely we won't have bushfires because we're expecting another bout of uh, floods. So let's hope that the rivers down that way aren't flooding and that you don't have that hard work to do with uh, more troubles. Yeah, but it sounds like you've probably negotiated in the kindest way part of the word a terrific team of helpers. I mean, you've probably congregated a, a group of people like you who were willing to help. Yes, there are. there is quite a large group and I have, um, I'm a member of Rotary. So Rotary has done a lot of um, work throughout um, the Beaver Valley region. And one of the things that we've managed to get, which I think you'll love, is we have a music pod called Beryl. And <laughs> Beryl's been funded. Beryl is a converted shipping container. It's converted into a stage. And it goes on the back, around the back of Errol, who's the truck that carries up. Of course. And she can get into all those difficult parts of the valley and bring music to people who, you know, particularly after the fires, uh, Errol, Errol and Beryl were the first out there and they had stages and people came out and it was such a great connecting thing to happen. Well, stages with sound systems and real-life performers, oh, that's just wonderful to hear. Well done. Music is a great healer, isn't it? Music uh, has all sorts of functions, mm. but certainly at the crisis times mm. it can be really important. Yes, it takes people out of themselves and it brings them into a setting where they can catch up with people because we were actually stuck in the smoke for so many months. I would yeah. think about eight months we were in smoke. And then to come mm. out into fresh air after that and and listen to music and sit down in your chair and enjoy, that that's really special. And Liz, do you record much of the local music? Does the station have a recording facility? We do, but what we, we like to do is we like to get people to come on live. Um, yeah. And I've done that in the past. I've had folks come in. and um, I also really do plug uh, the local artists and often I'll do, um, uh, you know, some talkback radio with them. Yes, yeah, mm. one of the great functions of community radio is absolutely that is access for, to, for musicians who normally... I mm. uh, would not get an opportunity to get on radio. That's one of the best functions. Yeah, there's a young fellow called Corey Legg, and he has done quite well at um, Tamworth. Fantastic singer, songwriter, guitarist, and he started out as a teacher of music and casual teacher at Eden High School. Oh, good on him. And Elizabeth, when we come and visit you down there, what are we? where are you going to take us? Oh, where would you like to go? I can take you to Eagle's Claw, which is a lovely little, um, very short walk onto the headland and you can see seals and there's a resident eagle. Mm. You might get to see him and you can also see all of Twofold Bay spread out before you and it's quite magnificent. Um, but I'd like to take you to a little spot that's my favourite spot, Lex, and that's the Pambula River Mouth. And that's where you'll see those glorious photos of the bush meeting white sand wow. and this gorgeous aqua river, which, you know, it's safe to swim in. And you just go there, you look at the leaves, you look at the trees, and you just unwind and let it all. If Lex and I went down there, do you think we could be with B 
barrel and arrow <laughs> and do a show on the truck? Uh, Patty, I would make that happen for you. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. Both of you, we would love to have you here. It would certainly make a big impact on our well, community. One day, perhaps we one hope. Day we'd love to. Now, you're very good at connecting communities, and, and we know that you go to Eden, Pambula, and Marimbula, and my very favourite place is Bermagui. And um, how often do you do the rural chat? I do rural chat weekly. We've just gone to Friday mornings from 9 till 11. And I love to interview all manner of people who are contributing to our rural life here on the Sapphire Coast. Yeah, fantastic. Wonderful. It's a, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful part of Australia. I mean, you know, it, it's many years ago I realised that Australia was a, a lot of different countries and all of them beautiful. We're from the rainforest to mm. Tasmania to the desert to mm. the south coast, which is absolutely stunning place. And we're so fortunate to be able to have all of those different countries accessible to us. But um, it's wonderful down there, Liz, and uh, look forward to more more chats with you yeah. and uh, visiting perhaps. Anything more from you, Patty? I just want to thank Liz and say that I envy you living in that beautiful part of the world and, and well done. And I have great admiration for, yeah, so what retirement? No, no. You kept going <laughs> and you're doing all terrific things for many people and uh, I hope you continue. Thank you very, very much, Liz. Thanks for talking to us, Liz. It's terrific. Thank you for having me. Bye. That's Liz Bellet-Stubbs from 2SEAFM on the uh, Sapphire Coast of New South Wales. You're listening to Baby Boomer's Guide to Life in the 21st Century. What a great show that was, Lex. And needless to say, I'm exhausted again. I just, I don't know, Patricia, I just, I just give and I give and I give. <laughs> Do you now? <laughs> it seems that way to me. Well, that's because, you know... He's got the whip out today, Jeff, our producer. Very hard going, you know. That's a staple of Jeff's cafe. Yeah, my word. You have to pay for it normally. Mm. Um, anyway, what, what's on the show next week? Online health and diet mm-hmm. with Professor Lucraj. Oh, and yes. that Excellent. will be very interesting because most of us know about online now, don't we, because of... Uh, the way we've lived for the last few years. Oh, indeed, so indeed, we do. The professor will tell us all about that. And uh, Jeff's Cafe, well, mm, due game. to the renovation, it, it's actually being held in a tent, just a, a temporary measure while they mm. fumigate the, the old premises <laughs> and make them safe, if, if they ever could be. And um, anyway, they'll be meeting in the tent. Yes, and I'm looking forward to going to Nostalgia Town because a good friend of ours, Robert Tickner, Will oh, be our yes. special guest. Wasn't it? Uh, what a wonderful story, Robert Tickner's story. Uh, and, uh, and it's nostalgia, nostalgia off the top shelf. It will be. Do you know, is there a best type of tax, do you oh, think? You're, you're asking me? <laughs> uh, you'd be better off asking Noel <laughs> no, Whitaker. No. <laughs> yeah, or my cat. <laughs> um, <laughs> Noel Whitaker is an expert on the best types of tax. And we're going to learn all about it. And I can't wait for us to go stepping out. Stepping out into my land, Patricia. Yes, this is Wagga 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 Wagga. Yeah, and you bet. so good they named it twice. Verena, who's a terrific fella. Oh, what Henry. a great man Grant yep. is. Tell us about his program, about the area. Uh, he's long-standing in the community and on radio. Wow, it's going to be a very, it's going to be a wonderful show. <laughs> a really oh, good one. I better rest up for it.
You better have a rest. Lie down. Have a nice cup of tea. That's it for this week. Ta-da. See you next week. Baby Boomer's Guide to Life is produced on the Gadigal and Wongal lands of the Eora Nation in association with the Older Women's Network. Baby Boomer's Guide is funded by the Extra Foundation, which works to ensure that more Australians are confident making money decisions today and into the future. You can find out more by going to extra.org.au. That's E-C-S-T-R-A dot org dot A-U. And don't forget, if you've missed any episodes, catch up on your favourite podcast app and online at babyboomersguide.com.au. Plus, you can join the conversation and have your say on our Baby Boomers Guide to Life Facebook page. Your Baby Boomers Guide to Life hosts are Senior Influencers of the Year, Patricia Little Paddy Amphlet and me, Big Lex Marinos. Get connected and stay connected. connected.